Welcome to Guerrilla Radio, recorded February 18th and 19th, 2023. Well, on February 8th of this year, Dutch police presented new evidence to the District Court of The Hague regarding the July 17th, 2014 downing of Malaysia Airlines flight MH17. Upon entering their evidence, the Dutch government and an Australian investigator on the case admitted to having held American military satellite images from the court, the press, and defense lawyers throughout the two-year trial for the wrongful deaths of the 298 people who perished aboard that ill-fated flight. John Helmer is a journalist and author who spent decades living in and reporting from Russia. The principal behind the web's news site Dances with Bears, Helmer has too been a professor of political science, sociology, and journalism, and has served as advisor to governments at the highest levels. Among his many book titles are Scripal in Prison, The Man Who Knows Too Much About Russia, The Jackal's Wedding, American Power, Arab Revolt, his latest Australian fascism, How It Destroyed the Courts, and The Lie That Shot Down MH17. His recent article on the latest from The Hague and the MH17 disaster is U.S. satellite photos revealed at last. Now they incriminate the Dutch police, prosecutors, and judges in the MH17 show trial. John Helmer in the first half. And BC's Ministry of Environment and Climate Change Strategy has granted permits for the Ministry of Forests to begin a spring spraying campaign across swathes of Vancouver Island. The plan is to use 4A48B, better known as BTK. Dr. Jennifer Tynan is a physician and radiology specialist. Jennifer is also a mom whose child's school is in one of the proposed spray zones, and she serves as spokesperson for Communities United for Clean Air, a grassroots initiative to stop the spray. Jennifer Tynan and fighting to keep Vancouver Island's air clear of BTK in the second half. But first, John Helmer and the JIT's latest shot in the West's war against Russia. Well, welcome back to the program, John. Thank you for having me, Chris. Well, you know, it's always my pleasure. Now, John, I got to admit uh, to being a bit confused about the Higgs legal process in the MH17 case and and why is it having briefings yet? I mean, long after its verdict was determined in pointing blame in that case. Now, off air, you were telling me this has more to do with uh, spreading the blame around and, and applying something they call a functional copper. Uh, co-perpetration, trying to pin this essentially on the leadership in Russia. But doesn't that uh, take for granted? I mean, isn't this just a disingenuous way of reinforcing what you've described as a kangaroo court there already, reinforcing their their predetermined, I would argue, verdict that Russia is guilty for downing MH17 when not everybody agrees with that? That's a big mouthful to respond to. And you're right, you're right, you're right, Chris. First of all, um, this press conference in which the prosecutors, the investigating team that had worked since 2014, controlled by the Ukrainian Secret Service, the SBU and the Dutch police, um, it was their so-called wrap-up final press conference. In fact, it's a curtain raiser because the Dutch prime minister Uh, Prime Minister Rutte has introduced back in 2020 a Dutch state case against the Russian state in the European Court of Human Rights. So they want that to continue 
and uh, the, it's been suspended in the European Court of Human Rights. Uh, about 9,000 cases of relating to the Ukraine and Crimea have, uh, are still uh, proceeding in that court, but essentially suspended, including about four cases uh, of lawyers representing victims of the Malaysia Airlines MH17 flight that was shot down in July 2014. So it's a curtain raiser. It's not a curtain dropper on that proceeding. But even more uh, egregiously calculated, more propagandistic, is the attempt to continue the case and the vilification of President Putin, uh, which has been announced by uh, the German who runs the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. And what she's done recently is to have proposed a UN or an European Commission-sponsored international criminal tribunal uh, to prosecute what she calls Russian war crimes in the Ukraine. That tribunal, uh, if it ever gets off the ground, will include the MH17 case, but it will continue and exaggerate and propagandize uh, everything the other side says, starting from the Zelensky regime in Lvov, um, to attack and vilify and propagandize against Russia forever. And that's an attempt that would duplicate the, uh, the NATO allies' uh, att uh, attempt to put uh, Slobodan Milosevic on trial. And you remember that he died in that captivity before the trial ended uh, for his alleged war crimes in, in the former Yugoslavia, uh, defending Serbia from a NATO attack. Yeah, resistance is the highest crime, uh, it seems to me. Well, uh, von der Leyen will get her wish if Kamala Harris has anything to say about it. She was in uh, uh, Munich uh, the last few days at the defense uh, conference, CONFAB, there, and she gave a, a little stand-up. It was stirring and going on about Russian war crimes and that they will pay. They will pay. And I'm wondering, is this is this what she's referring to? She says, oh, it's been an established, we have a process establishing Russian war crimes and, and they will pay and pointing her finger at President Putin at the same time. Is this, do you know, uh, uh, connected to the von der Leyen's, to von der Leyen's opinion, as, as you repeated, and the court process in The Hague? It's very difficult to take seriously Miss Harris's statements. She <laughs> makes incredibly stupid statements, whether she's on the Korean border, uh, whether she's in Poland, wherever she's standing, there's a disconnect between her brain and reality. But, but in Harris, this case, in this case, though, John, she said that, that, that this has been established. And that's what sort of made me prick up my ears. I, I know what you're saying about she's a, her, she's a bit of a moon bat. But this time she goes, we, there is a process that we, the government of the United States of America, presumably, have established. So I'm wondering if that's, you know, the underpinnings to if the, the Hague and von der Leyen are sort of part of the the infrastructure of bringing these charges forward. Yes, it's a cover story. It, it's repeating the process that was an illegal one at the beginning. Um, as Christopher Black, the uh, distinguished Canadian war crimes tribunal attorney has pointed out, um, Harris is unlikely to be uh, 
the vice president of the United States by the time anything like this gets started. And she's going to follow um, the other uh, moonbats, as you call them, of uh, ex-Prime Minister Truss and Annalena Baerbock. Uh, Annalena Baerbock uh, was tr competing with, uh, with uh, Kamala Harris in moon battiness at the Munich Security <laughs> Conference when she was asked uh, what she meant by regime change as an objective of, of the war against Russia. And she said something to the effect that uh, President Putin, of course, she wouldn't use his title and probably didn't call him Mr. I haven't got the transcript right in front of me, but Baerbock, the trampoline champion of Germany, um, said uh, he would have to uh, change his position 360 degrees before. You, <laughs> uh, and then that caused laughter uh, all over Russia, as everybody noted that Ms. Baerbock, the foreign minister of Germany, doesn't understand basic geometry um, and that 360 degrees, uh, 360 degree turn, what was a laughable display of her incompetence. Well, as a it, as a trampoline championship, she must know what a pirouette is, but uh, maybe it was just a lapse. But uh, as not far as she's the, been falling on her head. Well, for with in regards to regime change, though, she just announced. I, I just saw it today that uh, she, I don't know where this even came from, but should the government fall? in Germany that she has put forward that she, uh, and she's currently that we should say uh, with the green party and uh, serves as a foreign minister in the coalition government of uh, Olaf Scholz, that she would put herself forward to be chancellor. So she's, she um, she's as would. ambitious as Kamala. Uh, indeed. She has a uh, slightly more electoral prospect uh, than Kamala Harris. And th this putting herself forward as chancellor uh, is indeed an indication of the Green Party ambition and what uh, my colleague George Eliasson has been researching as the scheme of the Greens in direct alliance with certain factions in Washington to advance themselves uh, as the most loyal warriors on the US behalf against Russia in Germany. The, the trouble for people like Baerbock and Habeck, the deputy chancellor, is that kingmakers very rarely uh, get elected as kings. And uh, the result of the Berlin election a few days ago, a rerun of an illegal uh, court declared illegal election 2021, seems to indicate that the Green Party uh, has peaked already in Berlin which for good reason ought to be one of their best performing uh, constituencies. And they've dropped almost a percentage point in the last election, while the Christian Democratic Union gained 10 percentage points. What the Berlin election shows you is a dynamic in Germany. Well-off children, that's to say people under the age of 20, but capable of voting, well-off children vote green. Well-off children vote Baerbock as chancellor. But well-off children in Germany constitute the population that are shielded from all of the misfortune of everyone else. Their parents house them. They're not having to pay mortgages. Their parents pay the electricity bill. They're not feeling cold. All they do, 
these uh, uh, these young green voters, these trampoline champions aged 18, uh, what they do is have fun. And the, they have fallen hook, line and sinker for the green fabrication. But if the Berlin election extends to the rest of Germany, the Greens are on their way out. They've yeah, peaked. I, I- I can't imagine the, the the Green Party and, and people here in Canada might not understand that they've been a fervent pro-war party for quite some time now. I'm of an age that I rem- remember when they were against the cruise missiles when they were coming out and they, they were big in the anti-nuclear movement uh, way back when. But those are days of the past. As far as uh, uh, George Eliasson goes, yes, that's your yours and George's uh, two-hand program, War of the Worlds at TNT Radio. Uh, people can get a link, I suppose, at your site to that. I was listening to it this morning and he was talking about how that the green party also is in favor of, of a, a widespread deindustrialization of germany uh, if that's the case i don't i don't think even the the teenagers in berlin are going to be rushing out to cast votes on uh, uh, some sort of pastoral future that the green party is envisioning uh, no, <laughs> the short answer <laughs> is that there are civilized and normal people in Germany, and there are people, um, let's hope there's a majority of them among German voters whose heads connect to their pockets and not to their uh, their uh, smartphones. Uh, and uh, the green voter is has reached the peak of support Um, the union voters, the SDP voters, the East German voters, uh, the voters of the industrial cities where uh, the major arms producers, Thyssenkrupp, for example, and others, Krauss Maffe, where they're headquartered, uh, there has been a, a visible increase in the green vote until now. Uh, there isn't the confidence uh, on in the financial markets in Germany, Frankfurt, for example, that the arms manufacturers that build the Leopard tank that's being shipped to the Ukraine, or the missiles, uh, or the uh, infantry vehicles and other military equipment the Germans have, have committed to supplying the war. There isn't the confidence in the cities where the workers build those weapons that the war will go well for their weapons. Uh, their share prices of these companies are going down. And if share price and dividend uh, and profitability go down in Germany, then the union workers, the unionized workers, the union managements and leaderships of these groups will, uh, will change their votes. And if anything, uh, this bodes well for the Christian Democratic Union, the so-called right, plus the uh, alternative for Germany, the AFD party, which also did slightly better in uh, Berlin. It's doom for the left, however, the so-called left. Well, let's talk a little bit about German politics in a minute. But before, I don't want to leave Russia just yet and their culpability as seen by The Hague and the United States naturally and, and everyone else. But there's sort of there's a timeline here of crimes. And I'm wondering if these are being cited by The Hague as well. The uh, the Skripal, uh, the so-called Skripal poisoning in Britain, uh, MH17, of course, uh, the Navalny, the uh, dissident in, in still in jail, I believe, in, in Russia uh, and, and Crimea and everything. Everything else, of course, but does the Skripal case, is this 
cited as well, or is this something that has just disappeared down the memory hole as far as, I mean, this is a constant pattern of, of shooting accusations at Russia that, that have been going on for the last uh, you know, eight or so years. Um, what about the scripts? Is that a figuring? Golly, Chris, you're, golly, Chris, you're, you're raising uh, all the, all the bad ghosts of Christmas past. Aren't you? <laughs> yep, yeah. uh, and I, I don't want to disappoint listeners uh, and act like Scrooge here, but you're quite right. Humbug. These are go- <laughs> yes, hum- <laughs> but, but uh, yes, you're right. Uh, each one of these operations, the so-called Novichok poisoning of uh, Yulia and Sergei Skripal and the, the subsequent death of Dawn Sturgis, still under investigation in a couple of weeks' time, uh, the UK inquiry, the so-called public inquiry into the cause of Dawn Sturgis's death will uh, have a new session. Um, each of these uh, uh, operations continues to be stoked by one or other of the NATO allies as a stick with which to beat Russia as Russia advances across the Ukrainian battlefield and engages directly in war with the British, whose Challenger tanks are on the way to the Ukraine, who, uh, with the Germans, whose Leopard tanks are on their way to the Ukraine, and so on. The, uh, the Norwegians, the United States, and so on. Each one of these ghosts is, is puffed up as part of the general propaganda offensive to uh, demonize the leadership of Russia as if it's only one evil man. This is a nonsense. It's also a falsification of not only the way Russia, uh, the Russian democracy works, uh, but uh, the particular role that the president of Russia plays in uh, running the country. The Skripal affair, the Novichok affair, the Navalny case, and by the way, uh, I should be uh, uh, telling you in advance that listeners should watch for the big scoop that Lucy Commissar of New York will shortly publish uh, exposing the Navalny hoax uh, just before the Oscar ceremonies um, uh, uh, launch the question or the issue, the famous envelope opening on whether the documentary film about Navalny called Navalny will mm-hmm. win the Oscar for not, uh, it's up for best documentary film. Um, Lucy presents a very vivid case of why it should be up for the best special effects, sound mixing, and cartoon animation prizes. Uh, The falsification of the Navalny story is being stoked by by the U.S. film uh, industry as well. So what does all this add up to? It adds up to propagandizing forever until, quotes, Russia's defeated until, quotes, there's a regime change in the Kremlin, not a 360-degree change, as Ms. Baerbock seems to count. <laughs> well, if, if if the White Helmets can win, then why not? Uh, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Grill Radio. I'm speaking today with John Helmer. John's a journalist and author. He spent decades living in and reporting from Russia. He's the principal behind the web news site Dances with Bears. He's also been a professor of political science and sociology and journalism, and he served as advisor to governments at the highest levels. Among his many book titles are Scripal in Prison, The Man Who Knows Too Much About Russia, The Jackal's Wedding, American Power Arab Revolt, and his latest Australian 
fascism, how it destroyed the courts, and the lie that shot down MH17. Before we leave, I know I promised we'd leave it, but let's not leave it just yet. MH17, you've written an article about what's going on in The Hague. U.S. satellite photos revealed at last. Now they incriminate the Dutch police prosecutors and judges in the MH17 show trial. John, I mean, briefly, the, the, the satellite, the famous satellite pictures that were promised by John Kerry when he was uh, still in government were going to prove that Russia was responsible for shooting down MH17, uh, a fact, uh, in scare quotes, that the, the Hague has proven to its own satisfaction, if not the rest of the world. Uh, but those satellite photos never showed up. Now, lo and behold, these years later, some sat, some not those satellite photos of Russian weapons shooting down the airplane have uh, appeared, but other ones. Do you want to explain what satellite photos have uh, been finally revealed and what they reveal? Uh, please, to Chris, and it, I hope it doesn't try listeners' patience, uh, since ears don't see. But let me try to ex explain. Uh, the press conference held by the investigators published two satellite pictures, one of truck transporters covered with tarpaulins uh, from Kursk, uh, a military base on the Russian side of the border, mistrust the ex-prime minister of the UK, never understood where the border was, uh, published on the 18th of July, and another set of, uh, another picture at Milerovo, published on the 20th of Ju July. So within hours at Kursk and within days at Milerovo, the US satellite capabilities being demonstrated to show alleged um, book missile uh, transporters similar to those alleged by uh, photographs published by the Ukrainian Secret Services, evidence that the Russians brought in on a truck transporter the missile, fired it at MH17 on the 17th of July, and then raced it back across the border into Russia, proving, they say, not only that the Russians brought the missile in, the Russians ordered it fired, and so forth and so on. That's the core of the evidence in the Dutch prosecution. However, as you rightly said, Chris, as you like, rightly remembered, as we need to remember everybody listening, that John Kerry lied his head off when he said immediately after the shoot down, we have the images, we have the images showing the trajectory, the hit, and so on. He even said on NBC television, I've been a prosecutor. I know how to prosecute on such circumstantial evidence of murder, of calculated Russian murder. That was the case. The Dutch prosecutors and the Ukrainian Secret Service tried to indict and then succeeded in achieving three out of four convictions, except that even Kerry as a liar, a U.S. Senate and pre uh, presidential appointee liar, couldn't have put through a civilized court of law in the United States. Why? Because the circumstantial evidence he referred to didn't exist. And if you had to bring it into court, it had to meet a standard of admissibility, meaning 
it would have to survive a test of forgery. And second, it would have to substantiate the, the proof beyond reasonable doubt. That's the civilized legal standard for proving a case of a, of a crime as grievous as murder. There's no doubt that the passengers, the 298 people killed very sadly uh, out of the air that day were killed. There's no doubt they were uh, the subject of a hostile fire. Who fired? What was fired? And who's culpable? Those issues were never settled in the Dutch court. That court was a show trial. And the satellite evidence was the first independent visual proof offered. Only the Dutch have left both a confidential and an open record that when asked to prove, prove, provide the satellite pictures, the United States refused. Instead, what they did, and this is all documented in the book, what they did was send a memorandum dated in August 2016 to the Dutch, signed by a colonel of the US Army called Stolworthy, and Stolworthy summarized what the evidence from the satellite imagery suggested. It's inadmissible, it's trash. You wouldn't take it near a court if you were a genuine prosecutor from the state of Massachusetts like John Kerry once was. Why? Because the court would laugh you out and the defense attorney would tell you to get out of court and go back to law school. The Stolworthy paper not only wouldn't survive a civilized court in the United States, it didn't, civilize, it didn't survive the, the Dutch military intelligence chief at the time who reported to the JIT, the investigative team, that they, Dutch intelligence, Dutch military intelligence and their partners, Dutch partner, the United States, Dutch partner, NATO. The Dutch military intelligence chief reported that the Dutch intelligence and the partner intelligence did not substantiate the firing of a Russian missile at that aircraft. Now, that occurred, that report spilled out, was leaked, is reported in the book, four weeks after Stolworthy's memorandum. Stolworthy's memorandum was introduced during the court proceeding, but not the Dutch memorandum. In other words, uh, the court proceeding itself manipulated the evidence. And finally, out comes a satellite production from the United States in the final so-called press conference of the investigative team. That proves the US had satellites with that level of resolution above the, the murder scene on the 18th. But the well, fact that's... that they didn't, the fact that they didn't release any photos of it says they either didn't have photos or they did have photos, but the photos didn't show the things that they wanted to, them to show. And so it's still, again, that puts the uh, the onus of who fired this uh, this deadly rocket uh, in question. Again, John, uh, we're fast out of time. Now, you can go to John's website, johnhelmer.net, and 
order his book, The Lie That Shot Down MH17, and his other books as well. John, we'll take it. We'll we'll go to an extended version of this, but for this uh, edition, we're going to break off, and Jennifer Tynan's going to come on and, and talk about the Gypsy Moth, or now called politically correct, retitled Spongy Moth Eradication campaigns, uh, aerial spraying campaign of a bacillus over my hometown and across the, the island of Vancouver Island. Uh, but for for now, John, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'll look forward to the spongy moth next. <laughs> their message always to everybody through all their advertising, all their PR, everything is, we are your friends. And it's like, no, you are not our friends. Friends are not people whose bottom line is how much profit they can make out of you. It is completely different. Guerrilla Radio, knowing who our real friends are since 1999. We're running out of time to put out a fire, fire. Welcome back to Guerrilla Radio. Well, BC's Ministry of Environment and Climate Change Strategy has granted permits for the Ministry of Forests to begin a spring spraying campaign across swaths of Vancouver Island. The plan is to use 4A48B, better known as BTK, in an attempt to eradicate the spongy moth. And though the ministry say BTK is harmless, there is contention to that claim. Dr. Jennifer Tynan is a physician and radiology specialist. Jennifer's also a mom whose child's school is in one of the proposed spray zones. And she serves as spokesperson for the Communities United for Clean Air, a grassroots initiative to stop the spray. Welcome to the program, Jennifer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's my great pleasure, of course. Now, Jennifer, who exactly are Communities United for Clean Air? So, as you said, we're a grassroots initiative of concerned citizens that have collected together from Vancouver Island and elsewhere in BC. And we've actually started to connect with other communities across Canada um, who are concerned about air quality and protecting clean air and the habits of aerial pesticide spraying. Can you describe uh, what the program, the uh, ministries of uh, the provincial government are proposing? What they have planned for this year is starting mid-April, a series of three sprays in each spray zone, which in the Victoria area is a total of nine sprays aerially using 4A48B um, and like you said to eradicate the spongy moth. Now this happens annually in various locations in British Columbia. It's been going on for a few decades as you mentioned. The exact target zone of the spraying depends on the trapping results that they get each year. So it's generally announced just before uh, Christmas uh, where is slated to be sprayed in the the following spring. And there is a short window between when it's announced and when it happens that um, there are theoretic appeal processes. Well, and what does it look like from the ground? Uh, are these like crop duster type planes yes, or yeah, something? Yeah, that type of look. Yeah, sometimes helicopter dusters, um, or they look like crop duster planes that go over usually in the morning um, before people head out. I think is what they're aiming for, and. Uh, People have posted pictures that have lived in spray zones. You often notice sort of a sticky covering on uh, cars and your yard and, uh, you know, playground equipment and the like. You might also hear the noise of the planes flying overhead. 
Yeah, well, maybe before some people get up, but some people get up pretty damn early, this myself included. Yeah, especially to exercise or walk to work or, yeah, and little children playing outside. So, yeah, not everybody is asleep at, at the hour that it's happening. So. Well, and I'm assuming that they need daylight that they or can they can they spray this at night as well? It is done during the day here is my understanding of the practice. Now, the other tricky part about it is it's generally only announced a, a day or so before when the exact date will be because they have to factor in wind and weather conditions. So people who are trying to plan ahead to avoid it, it's it's next to next to impossible, especially if you're also trying to work or do other things um, because you find out a day or so before, okay, this spraying is happening tomorrow. And then there are two more following, you know, the first one. So it's, it's a really tricky business. Now I mentioned off the top that there, there's the claim is that BTK is poses no significant health problem to people. I'm looking at uh, Health Canada's uh, website. It's an archive site, uh, the date of which I don't know. But uh, they say that these toxins are, quote, activated by the alkaline conditions that exist only in certain insects' digestive systems so that they're not going to pose any, any kind of harm to people. They go on to say in, in this uh, uh, handout here that, that uh, even people who work with it and are exposed to hundreds of times more than we can expect to be sprayed on us maybe experience quote minor skin eye or respiratory irritation and, and that's the end of it should we not then be satisfied with health canada's uh, assuaging our worries our health worries with this product and I would agree with you, those statements in and of themselves are extremely reassuring, but unfortunately, based on my review of the science, they're not, uh, they don't have a scientific basis. And the same articles that they're quoting, um, for example, the Health Canada reports in 2000, they said that these BT products have an inherent capacity to lyse human cells, and lyse means kill, and may also act as immune sensitizers. So immune sensitizers being like um, increasing allergies in that type of situation. Uh, the Health Canada report also said that what is lacking is a critical understanding of conditions that might concern high-risk groups, those like the very young, the very old, people who are at, at higher risk for exposures like this. Um, there's also more evidence since those reports have come out. There are more papers, more reports um, that are demonstrating that this compound can affect more than just the target species. For example, in 2014, the Federation of European Microbiological Societies reported that BT can produce membrane-damaging toxins that act on mammalian cells, so not just the target species, and they can cause various infectious diseases in humans. You know, that's just the tip of the iceberg as far as what is out there. Um, well, and now they do have this product, BTK, is okayed by the organic, uh, uh, the, the association that uh, regulates organic programs, the National Organic Program. That it's been certified so that, uh, to spray on crops and so forth. They say it's uh, it's not problematic uh, in, in that application. Uh, presumably, there's uh, farm workers and everybody that get sprayed along with this. But I guess it's important that we know that this isn't like a chemical spray, like a pesticide that we might be uh, used to to seeing sprayed onto crops, but is actually described as a a natural uh, a, a naturally occurring bacterium. 
Yeah, so there's a bit of a bit of uh, confusion and and misleading uh, misleading component to that, in my opinion. So 4A48B does contain the active ingredient known as uh, Bacillus thuringis, and it's the Karastocki variant, uh, Kerstocki variant. Sorry, um, but it also contains a whole host of undisclosed proprietary ingredients, which proprietary meaning we can't know what they are. There have been some studies that have tried to figure out what they are after the fact um, and it, they were found to contain you know known carcinogens like benzene, toluene um, and the like. Um, so there's a bit of uh, of controversy there. Also, like you said, with the organic certification, um, there is controversy regarding that. And I'll get more into to that in a second. Um, but also putting it on a crop um, and then washing it off, you know, washing food thoroughly before you eat it is different than spraying it on areas that have elementary schools, hospitals, daycares, and, and family homes and animals. Um, those are very different practices, in my opinion. Um, one of the PhD researchers from Norway who wrote the majority of the articles on this very specialized topic um, was available for discussion and he actually wrote a report on this and said there is no way that he would allow himself to be exposed aerially to this pesticide and it is in fact a pesticide. Um, as you were saying, was it, you know, is it a pesticide? It is indeed. He's done most of the research. It has been banned in Norway from any use because of uh, partly his data collection. And he understands at the basic science level what this bacteria and what its toxins can do. You mentioned that it's only activated in alkaline states. And he's he's one of the people who published the articles explaining that. So, and he's saying, you know, we have more evidence now. We have more data now. We've banned it in Norway. If I knew this was happening, I would be leaving town. So, you know, he's one of the, the international authorities on this. And I don't see how in Canada we can proceed with that type of information available. If the scientist uh, that you cite, the um, Norwegian scientist, says he wouldn't like to be in town, well, if somebody here would would like to, you know, forego being around when this is coming down, does is that protection enough? I mean, they're going to have to come back home within some period. How long does this stay in the environment, on their lawn, on on their house, uh, in the water supply? Yeah, now that's a very good question and you'll get varying answers depend on, depending on who you ask. Um, you know, the, the government says stay inside for 30 minutes and you'll be fine, but there are, is research showing it persisting, you know, weeks, months, and some research even showing years after it's been sprayed. Um, so also the difficulty of actually scheduling to be away because of the short notice um, that is provided, uh, you know, it's not practical. And most people with children in school and work and all of that, how are you going to, uh, how are you going to practically avoid it? Um, and from my experience so far is the majority of the population are not even aware that this is going on, which is one of the reasons I'm grateful you asked me to speak here today, because um, I would just love for people to know, you know, and they can uh, gather their own information and, and make their own decision. 
If you just tuned in, you're listening to Gorilla Radio. I'm speaking today with Dr. Jennifer Tynan. Jennifer is a physician and radiology specialist right here in Victoria. She's also a mom whose child's school is in the proposed spray zone, and she serves as spokesperson for the Grassroots Initiative Communities United for Clean Air. Um, when we talked before uh, off-air, Jennifer, I, I mentioned that I had done uh, a program on this very uh, spraying campaign back in 1999 when it was controversial. At that point as well, more so even than today, the much more or more people knew about it. There was more engagement. There was protests. And at that time, the guest that I spoke with, Dieter uh, Eisenhower of Eisenhower Farms, organic farms out in Machosen there, he had lost his organic certification for, uh, for his land because mm. it was in the spray zone. That, I guess, is not uh, is not a problem now. But when it comes to doing studies of the effects, after that spraying campaign here on the South Island, there was something struck by the government of the time called the Human Health Surveillance during the aerial spraying for control of North American yes. gypsy moth on Southern Vancouver. Wait, I'm still reading the title here. On Southern <laughs> Vancouver Island, BC, 1999. Well, to be politically correct, the name of the moth targeted in case there's confusion, has been changed from gypsy moth to spongy moth. Um, So what came out of those studies? Is there something, obviously the government feels it's okay because they did this study and they're going to go ahead with another program of this anyway. Yeah, so 1999 was a really interesting year, as you said. Um, There was some spraying planned in Fairfield, as far as I know, and it was um, converted from aerial spraying, which is is wonderful. And like you said, there was more public awareness at the time. Um, those reports did some, uh, my understanding of that study was some patchy post-exposure and pre-exposure surveys of health. Now, there are no long-term controlled trials of the effects of exposing people to 4A48B aerially. The 99 report by the BC Ministry of Health recommended, um, I have it here, that continued monitoring is needed to identify rare or unexpected effects of the exposure to the spray and to generate more information to help the public and the government understand the local consequences of aerial spraying. This needs to use a variety of scientific specialties to track the full range of possible health impacts. And they said the health studies need to be planned well before any spraying program begins. So that was their conclusion. And there's there's been no monitoring. Um, the spraying is ongoing. There's no organized, structured, short or long-term monitoring of the effects on humans or animals or, you know, the environment. Um, and for the spraying this year, I confirmed at the virtual open house with the government that there is no plan in place again for this year to to be monitoring this. So from my view on it, uh, the ministry and uh, the the province is not taking their own advice from their own studies, which were, like you said, quite a long time ago now. But ironically, they're using that, that long titled study that I mentioned earlier as uh, something to placate people. And that's from uh, uh, Tim Ibotta. He's a, a, an entomologist with forestry, I, I believe. And, and he reassures, he says, well, 
this uh, BTK is a 13% solution with 80% water uh, plus other ingredients and, and to add with its efficacy, the efficacy presumably in uh, killing these larvae. That's a little misleading in itself too, saying, well, this is mostly water. So, you know, it's not going to hurt you folks when it's not exactly the case. What about all these additives? What, what do we know about what else is in this spray? They are proprietary. They have been apparently reviewed by Health Canada at some point. People who have tried to do studies of what's in it after the sprayings happened found a long list of what's predominantly called volatile organic compounds, things like toluene, benzene, things that we know are carcinogens and not healthy. Now, people with underlying respiratory issues, especially like asthma or allergies, will know that um, chemical additives like that can be very triggering and cause cause respiratory issues. And there are documented reports of people having that exact problem. There's a research article showing that exposure to this spray can set the stage for um, chronic lung inflammation. Um, we are on the heels of a COVID-19 pandemic to spray anything into the air. It doesn't make a lot of sense right now. Not that it makes sense even before that to me. Back to Health Canada now, they say, and this is their, their pest management agency regulated, the pest management regulation agency, a regulatory agency rather, they say uh, about anything that uh, is going to be used in a way similar to this, they say, quote, manufacturers must provide the agency with a full analysis of the product formulation as well as extensive health and environmental data so that a risk assessment can be carried out by PMRA scientists this sounds to me that uh, the government is counting on the, the manufacturers to do all the work and to provide the data and not really doing it themselves. Is, is that a fair charge to be leveled in this case? Yeah, it does. You're right. It does create a conflict of interest, doesn't it, um, when things like that are happening? Um, and there are historical patterns. You know, you mentioned the chemicals, uh, things like DDT in the past, glyphosate. We've been going through this pattern historically that I'm really hoping we can move past and I'm seeing it happening again and I'm sure other people are as well. It's why there's a growing number of us who are concerned. Um, but yeah, if you're mixing money and human health, uh, you know, in the same situation, things things can get complicated. Um, and it's my hope that human health, health of the animals and the environment can be put ahead of any other uh, agendas involved. Also, that all of this information can be available to the public so that they can make their own informed decision that, uh, you know, a proprietary hold on certain ingredients shouldn't be allowed if it's something that somebody is going to be breathing in and, and taking on risk to their own bodies and health. Or drinking with their tap water or yes, you know, yes. traces then, of when they exactly. shower and everything so, else. You know, well, as we know, it's not like when you spray something, it lands in one spot. So it ends up in the soil, in the water and everywhere else. So, yeah, exactly. And after all is said and done, this BTK is not effective. It doesn't achieve the stated objectives that it's being used for. The main goal here which is a pernicious one in any case, is the eradication of a species in this locality, uh, all for the benefit of, uh, I don't know, the Christmas tree uh, orchardists or, or, or who, I'm not entirely certain here. But it, it doesn't even do that, does it? 
Well, that's a really great point. And insects have a short life cycle. And, you know, my limited understanding about insects is that they have a capacity to, you know, mutate and become resistant quite quickly. And um, from my discussions with doctor in Norway, he said, you know, they've realized that this moth doesn't take over if they let it be. And they they stopped spraying the BT because it was an issue and a threat. Um, and they found that the, you know, moth is regulating its own life cycle there. Um, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if the officials here and other countries could collaborate to do, you know, healthier approaches? There's also trapping, which doesn't require any chemical spraying. Um, and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't pose any threat to human health. Um, the insect populations have drastically reduced over yeah. over recent years. Um, in the forestry industry, it is a known threat. Um, now, spraying it over city, a city is not spraying it over a forest. Um, and from my discussion with foresters, actually, in a few different countries, they were you know, unanimously horrified at the notion of spraying it over people, even if if the gypsy moth was the target or the spongy moth, as they call it now. Um, is it something that can become an issue? Yes. Are there non-toxic ways to treat it? Yes. Um, that pose no threat to human health. Have there been reports of people having allergies to the moth and that type of thing and trees, you know, losing their foliage? Yes, that's happened. But if we're going to exaggerate it to this extreme, you know, invasive, terrifying pest, I would like there to be an equal representation of all of the people who have spoken up to say, I've had a health issue from the spray. You know, my child's had a health issue from the spray. Look at these, you know, mountains of reports of research and data of people and animals um, affected so so that there's more of a balance to this um, sensationalism about the moth, in my opinion. This non-chemical bacillus or, or bacteria concoction yeah. that is used, that is BTK, is produced by a company called Valent. Valent Biosciences, yeah. Valent Biosciences, yes. thank you very much. They are in, in turn a, a, a subsidiary of a Sumitomo Chemical Company of Japan. And the Sumitomo Chemical Company uh, on its uh, homepage talks about its charter for business conduct and spells out its guiding principles upon how they operate. And they say that they will actively communicate with various stakeholders, including shareholders, customers, and local communities. Have you talked to the Sumitomo Chemical Company about your concerns, or have they reached out to you and your organization? No, that's interesting, Chris. I wasn't aware of that um, connection, and, and no, I haven't, and no, they haven't. Well, that is disappointing, because I was hoping there was uh, they, that they were taking seriously their, their charter, <laughs> but uh, oh, well. Yeah, the, the one New Zealand study you mentioned is controversial. Uh, it came up at one of the, the open house meetings here recently, um, but it is a relevant study and there are multiple other studies and reports beyond that one as well. Um, and there's there was a, a general attitude of, well, nobody's come into our forestry office to say they're sick after we spray, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, 
most people don't know they're being sprayed. If you were feeling sick, it's not like you would first think to go find where the Department of Forestry is. I don't even know where it is. Um, and to go talk to, to those people. You know, there's so many steps involved here and sort of innocence of people being exposed to something they have no clues even happening. And then if you do have, say, an asthma attack, on the day, the, the the odds of that getting associated to what it's, you know, actually triggered it are low. And then if you do present to a hospital, um, most of the hospitals and doctors working are not aware that there's been an aerial spraying that day or that week or, you know, to associate them as far as on a chart um, or in a medical record. So it, it it's a difficult situation, especially with the lack of transparency and the lack of public awareness. No. Well, well, we're fast out of time, Jennifer, but uh, you mentioned COVID earlier. If people can't, uh, if they, uh, they hear about the spray, but they can't get away, will an N95 mask or some measures like that protect them? Oh, gosh. If you were absolutely forced to stay in, um, you know, from talking to the experts I've spoken with, I'd cover everything you have as far as your yard and your toys and your playground. Um, yeah, you could stay inside and wear a respirator mask. Um, <laughs> but I mean, if you're actually trying, but it's still going to get on everything. Um, yeah. So really leaving town and that's what the experts I've spoken with if you're wanting to stay away from it that's what most of us would do that's what I would do with my children um uh yeah but, and but keep, it's and keep them out of keep can. them keep them out of the playground and the fields at school and that too because the well, schools aren't going to take those right precautions before. exactly well so in the U.S. even the government in the U.S. recommends covering all of the playgrounds and the parks for the schools that they spray. Um, here, they're not doing that. Um, and I would love if they would, if they are going to go ahead as a, as a bare minimum, because yes, children show up at school right after the spraying and then touch, understandably touch, if it's if it's my kids, they'll also be licking everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so it's really um, an unfair increased degree of exposure to children. Um, and, you know, they're completely innocent in this. So. Uh, well, yeah, and, and the, the the studies have shown that children are more susceptible than adults. Yeah, understandably, children, women, pregnant women, elderly, people with underlying conditions already, they, they need to be protected and they're the ones, um, yeah, that are going to be most targeted, so. Well, Jennifer, how, how do people get in touch? Uh, how do they get more information and g get in touch with your group? Can you reiterate your particulars? Yes, so I would love if everybody could join us in our efforts to raise awareness and uh, stop this spraying. It's communities united for clean air at gmail.com. Um, maybe you can put uh, spell that out on the, the site as well. Um, and they can send their email or their name and we can get in touch and we can all work together to to help improve this situation. And, how, and do you have an online presence, uh, uh, Facebook or some such? We're working on that. Um, okay. Sort of a sort of rushing towards these these tight deadlines, but we'll hopefully be growing in that type of presence as well. And and when is this the next spray scheduled, or, or between which um, uh, dates? So mid April till end of June. Okay. With nine well, sprays over the Victoria area. Well, Dr. Jennifer Tynan, Communities United for Clean Air. I'll post uh, that uh, email contact in the notes. 
Thanks a lot, uh, Jennifer, for coming on the show, eh? My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure, too. And thanks again to John Helmer for coming on. That's all I've got time for this week. Until the next time. Back when Eisenhower was the president, golf courses is where most of his time was spent. So I never really listened to what the president said because in general, I believed that the general was politically dead. But he always seemed to know when the muscles were about to be flexed. Because I remember him saying something, mumbling something about a military industrial complex. Americans no longer fight to keep their shores safe just to keep the jobs going in the arms-making workplace. And then they pretend to be gripped by some sort of political reflex. But all they're doing is paying dues to the military-industrial complex. The military and the monetary. The military and the monetary. The military and the monetary. The military and the monetary get together whenever they think it's necessary. They turn our brothers and sisters into mercenaries. They are turning the planet to a cemetery. The military and the monetary use the media as intermediaries. They are determined to keep the citizens secondary. They make so many decisions that are arbitrary. We're marching behind the commander-in-chief who was standing under a spotlight shaking like a leaf. But the ship of state had landed on an economic reef, so we knew he was going to bring us messages of grief. The military and the monetary were shielded by January and went storming into February. Brought us pot-bellied generals as luminaries. Two weeks ago, I hadn't heard the sumbitch. Now, all of a sudden, he's legendary. They took the honor from the honorary. They took the dignity from the dignitaries. They took the secrets from the secretary, but they left the bitch an obituary. The military and the monetary from thousands of miles away in a Saudi Arabian sanctuary had us all scrambling for our dictionaries because we couldn't understand the fucking vocabulary. Yeah, there were some smart bombs, but there were some dumb ones as well. Scared the hell out of CNN in that Baghdad hotel. The military and the monetary, they get together whenever they think it's necessary. War in the desert sometimes sure is scary, but they beamed out the war to all their subsidiaries. Tried to make so damn insane a worthy adversary, keeping the citizens secondary, scaring old folks into coronaries. The military and the monetary from thousands of miles in the Saudi Arabian sanctuary kept us all wondering if all of this was really truly necessary. We've got to work for peace. Peace ain't coming this way. If we only work for peace, if everyone believed in peace the way they say they do, we'd, we'd have peace. The only thing wrong with peace is that you can't make no money from it. The military and the monetary, they get together whenever they think it's necessary. They've turned our brothers and sisters into mercenaries. They are turning the planet into a cemetery. Got to work for peace. Peace ain't coming this way. We should not allow ourselves to be misled by talk of entering a time of peace. Peace is not the absence of war, it is the absence of the rumors of war and the threats of war and the preparation for war. Peace is not the absence of war, it is the time when we will all bring ourselves closer to each other, closer to building a structure that is unique within ourselves because we have finally come to peace within ourselves. Military and the monetary. Military and the monetary. Military and the monetary. 
get together whenever they think it's necessary. They have turned our brothers and sisters into mercenaries. They are turning parts of the planet into a cemetery. What you gonna do? Military in the monetary. Military in the monetary. What you gonna do? We hounded the Ayatollah religiously, bombed Libya and killed Gaddafi's son hideously. We turned our back on our allies, the Panamanians, and saw Ali North selling guns to the Iranians. Watch Gorbachev slaughtering the Lithuanians. We better warn the Amish, they may bomb the Pennsylvanians. Military, the monetary. Get together whenever they think it's necessary. They have turned our brothers and sisters into mercenaries. They are turning the planet into a cemetery. They got folks out there working for war. Two, three, four. Make a whole lot of money, start a little trouble, it's war. Turn this planet in the north and south, it's war. Start a few rumors over there, make money with a war. Say it to yourself. I believe we got the work for peace. Peace ain't gonna be free. We got the work for peace.